afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's episode, we've got the story of the sudden closure of Lower Cape Ambulance Association and an update on the ongoing battles between the Fox and Crow Cafe in Wellfleet and their landlords. Will David is here, and he's got our exclusive WOMR weekend weather outlook. And Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about Grandma Sally and the evil eye. A severe thunderstorm on Tuesday dropped more than four inches of rain on parts of the Outer Cape in less than two hours, flooding roadways and stranding vehicles. There were no reported injuries. In North Harwich, the torrent of water coming down Main Street washed away a portion of the pavement where the road crosses the Herring River. On Great Western Road in Dennis, a vehicle stalled in a large puddle near Stonewood Products and had to be towed away. A motorist also became stranded in water at Commerce Park in South Chatham, but the driver escaped the vehicle without assistance. In Brewster, three vehicles became stranded in water on Main Street near the Orleans town line. The road remained closed for about 40 minutes to allow the water to recede and the vehicles to be removed. Orleans Fire Chief Jeff Deering also reported significant flooding around town. Portions of Route 28 near Namakoyet Road were particularly hit hard by flooding, and the fire department also responded to calls of flooded basements and water seeping into homes. A tornado touched down in the vicinity of Marston's Mills during the storm. Witnesses described seeing airborne fence posts and branches. The National Weather Service confirmed that a small EF0 tornado touched down in the town of Barnstable near the village of Marston's Mills at 11.52 a.m. A tornado also touched down in Mattapoisett, just off Cape, according to the National Weather Service. Authorities have launched a criminal investigation into the boat crash in Sisuit Harbor in East Dennis that killed 17-year-old Sadie Morrow, according to Cape and Islands District Attorney Rob Galibois. In the July 21st crash, a boat struck a jetty, and a teenage boy was also injured. The boat had six people on board at the time of the crash. Morrow, a lacrosse player and rising senior at Dover Sherborne High School, was set to attend Gettysburg College in Pennsylvania to play college lacrosse. Morrow was remembered with a gathering at her school on July 24th, according to Dover Sherborne Principal John Smith, who said in a letter to the school community that she had a heart of gold and the sweetest spirit. The Lower Cape Ambulance Association is officially ending operations on September 1st. The announcement came after the board of directors voted unanimously on the decision. Chief Operating Officer Stephen Roderick said that the nonprofit cannot fulfill its contracts with Truro and Provincetown for emergency services and transport due to staff shortages. At the end of June, Provincetown brought on eight new full-time firefighter medics, six of whom were former LCAA employees. 
According to Roderick, this represented an unanticipated blow to the nonprofit's operations. It has proved impossible to rebuild swiftly enough, he said, despite efforts to recruit additional per diem medics. Truro and Provincetown have been adding emergency medical personnel as they prepare to transition from the long-time collaborative arrangements they've had with the LCAA. The announcement came as a surprise to Provincetown town manager Alex Morse, who said the town was taking quick action to onboard newly hired personnel. Provincetown residents approved eight full-time emergency services positions at the town meeting in April. Morse said the town will transfer $1.1 million from the association contract to bring more personnel on board. Provincetown plans to hire an additional eight EMT medics within the next several weeks. Janet Armstrong isn't sure exactly when she has to leave the dune shack where she took her first steps as a toddler 71 years ago. It could be 90 days from the date of her June 2nd notice-to-quit letter from the National Park Service, but the digital signature on the document was dated June 9th, it was postmarked June 12th, and she received it on June 16th. Whichever date turns out to be correct, the shack is due to be boarded up by the Park Service sometime in the first two weeks of September. Cape Cod National Seashore Superintendent Brian Carlstrom has told the select boards of Provincetown and Truro that there will eventually be a public leasing contest for the Armstrong Shack and for Frenchie's Shack, which Sal Del Deo has cared for since 1953 and which was boarded up on June 29th. Those two shacks were not included in the public leasing contest for eight other dune shacks that was announced on May 1st. As things currently stand, Armstrong is supposed to vacate her family's shack in September, then bid on the boarded-up shack sometime in the future, and if she's lucky, move everything back into it a year or two from now. Armstrong said the process violates the Dune Shack's Historic District Preservation and Use Plan, which was finalized in 2012 and originated with a Dune Shack subcommittee report that took two years to create. Armstrong served on that subcommittee, and she said she cannot understand why its work has been discarded. The Independent asked National Park Service officials, including Director Charles Sams and Deputy Director Lena McDowell, why the agency has departed from its own preservation and use plan. The response from Superintendent Carlstrom simply said, falsely, that the agency was following the 2012 plan. When Superintendent Carlstrom canceled his July 24th meeting with the Provincetown Select Board on the day of the meeting, board members said the Park Service was stonewalling. U.S. Senators Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren and U.S. Representative Bill Keating sent a joint letter to National Park Service Director Sams on July 13th asking for a thorough RFP review process that respects the history of the dune shacks and properly centers the concerns of the community. As of August 8th, at the Independence deadline, the National Park Service had not sent a written reply to Markey, Warren, and Keating. Sal Del Deo's son, Romulo Del Deo, is working with attorneys Bruce Behrens and Anthony Nichols to try to talk the Park Service into mediation. Paul Tasha also served on the Dune Shack subcommittee and is applying for a 10-year lease on the Dune Shack that poet Harry Kemp gave to his family in 1960. Like the other families whose Dune Shacks are in the May 1st RFP, 
The Tashas are supposed to remove all personal property and quit their shack on September 2nd. You don't need to listen to the news to know that Carnival Week is upon us. Provincetown is gearing up for its busiest week of the year as the town gets ready for the 45th edition of the Carnival Parade. The theme for this year's festivities is Land of Toys. Carnival officially begins August 12th and ends August 19th. The parade will be held Thursday, August 17th from 3 to 6 p.m. This year's theme was inspired in part by the release of Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie and the rejuvenated childhood nostalgia that it brought. Town officials expect close to a quarter million people in and out of Provincetown over the course of the week. There are more people registered to march in the parade than last year, as things come back bigger than ever following the pandemic. In 2022, the Provincetown Business Guild launched the Artist Matchmaker Program, in which businesses sponsor an artist for $5,000, and in return, the artist creates a parade float. The program takes the pressure off of local businesses to put together a float for the parade. This year, the matchmaker program has more than doubled, with at least 10 businesses taking advantage of the opportunity to hire an artist to create a float. For Babes and Boys, a Provincetown organization that hosts weekly events for the queer and sapphically inclined, Barbie-themed events were a must. Babes and Boys will be hosting a slew of events throughout the week but their pool party at the Sea Glass Inn is one to look out for, as it's the first women's pool party to be held during Carnival. Provincetown Brewing Company and Babes and Boys will also be co-hosting some Carnival events, like the Legend of the Pied Piper pop-up, as an homage to the now-closed lesbian bar. General Manager Chris Spaulding said Provincetown Brewing makes a concerted effort to carve out space for the lesbian community since there aren't any dedicated lesbian bars in town. Carnival will take place from August 12th to the 19th across all of Provincetown. You can find out more about what's going on and get tickets for specific events at ptown.org. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. In Wellfleet, the owners of the Copper Swan Inn are seeking to evict the Fox and Crow Cafe from their property and have now accused the cafe's owner, Trudy Vermarin, of vandalizing the place to create a stench that would delay the owner's opening of a lounge in the building. Vermarin's lawyer, Bruce Behrens, called the allegations bizarre and said his client had done nothing wrong. Documents filed in Orleans District Court this week reveal how animosity between the inn's owners and their tenant quickly ratcheted up in the weeks following the signing of a five-year lease in early April. Accusations are flying in both directions. John O'Toole and Grant Hester own the property at 70 Main Street and operate the inn and the lounge at the Copper Swan there. They rent restaurant space in a separate building to Vermarin, along with four rooms and two bathrooms in an attached structure to house her employees. 
O'Toole and Hester served Vermeeren with an eviction notice in mid-July for failure to pay $8,000 toward employee housing rent and $6,000 for the final month's payment on the five-year lease. Vermeeren filed her own complaint against O'Toole and Hester in district court at about the same time, seeking $200,000 in damages for business losses that she said resulted from the landlord's breach of the lease. An attorney representing O'Toole and Hester provided a reporter with a statement from his clients in which the property owners accused Vermeeren of committing numerous acts to damage their operation. They said Vermeeren brought in a front-end loader that cut into a hill to create additional parking and caused an erosion problem. O'Toole and Hester say Vermeeren tried to delay the opening of the lounge located in a building attached to the Fox and Crow by rubbing calamari and other fish and shellfish in the rafters and on the pipes to create a stench and attract flies. Behrens responded on Vermeeren's behalf by saying that he hadn't seen the landlord's allegations and so couldn't comment. In his answer to the eviction filing, Behrens said Vermeeren had experienced problems with unreliable hot water service for several months. Staff housing had not been cleaned, lacked some window screens, and had broken locks and exterior doors that didn't latch. Biren said that Vermeeren was withholding the rent payment for the employee housing because of the unsatisfactory conditions that hadn't been remedied. Vermeeren lost staff because of these conditions, Biren said, and had to cut her hours of operation. The Copper Swan Inn, the Employee Quarters and Copper Swan Lounge, and the Fox and Crow Cafe all failed an inspection done by the Wellfleet Fire Department and State Fire Marshal's Office on July 19th, according to a report released last week. Fire Chief Richard Pauley said some violations can be easily addressed. O'Toole and Hester have until September 1st to get the work done. The lack of a heat and smoke detection system linked to a control box and connected to an alarm company will take longer to address. The alarm system must be installed in the lounge, the employee housing above the lounge, the Fox and Crow Cafe, and the Copper Swan Inn by May 1st of 2024. Pauly said his biggest immediate concern was the storage of gas-powered engines and propane tanks in the basements of the buildings. He ordered those removed. Biren said in an email that Vermeeren had addressed all the infractions in her restaurant. Interim Building Commissioner Victor Staley was unable to accompany the fire department during its inspection to address compliance with building codes. He said last week that he planned to check with Assistant Health and Conservation Agent Meredith Ballinger to plan a joint inspection. A year after 49 migrants were flown from Texas to Martha's Vineyard as part of a political stunt, Cape and Islands District Attorney Rob Galabois has requested that the U.S. Department of Justice investigate any criminal activity related to the transport. In a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland on July 31st, Galabois stated that there are indications that the asylum seekers who were left on the vineyard on September 14th were fraudulently and deceitfully persuaded to make the journey. Galabois further alleges that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his administration planned the transport and used taxpayer money to fund the mission.
Publicly reported information shows that plans were hatched in Florida and launched in Texas. The migrants also briefly appeared in South Carolina and North Carolina before concluding their journey on Martha's Vineyard. In the letter, Galibois asked the Department of Justice to assist the Cape and Islands District Attorney's Office in obtaining certified translations and transcriptions of interviews conducted with the migrants. The interviews would provide crucial support to a potential investigation. Galibois told the Cape Cod Times that his letter follows a similar document sent to the Department of Justice on July 6th from Rob Bonta, Attorney General of California, California Governor Gavin Newsom, and Texas Sheriff Javier Salazar. In the letter, the trio asks the Department of Justice to investigate whether Florida's funding of flights shipping migrants out of Texas to Martha's Vineyard and California violated the law. When migrants were initially flown to Martha's Vineyard, DeSantis took credit. At the time, he said more flights to send Venezuelan immigrants to out-of-state sanctuary communities would be coming. DeSantis, a presidential hopeful, attended a fundraiser in Catuit on July 29th. While Galibois' letter was sent to Garland several days after DeSantis' visit, he said the timing wasn't politically motivated. After asylum seekers were left on Martha's Vineyard, local officials and community organizations helped house the families that included children as young as three. Migrants were first taken to Joint Base Cape Cod and were eventually relocated throughout the state, including on the Cape and Islands. Galibois hopes the Department of Justice will take a hard look at the allegations and will sit down with his office along with officials from Texas and California. The Eastham Select Board will meet in a closed session to discuss next steps in the dispute with the National Park Service over Nauset Light Beach parking. Last Tuesday, the Select Board and Town Administrator Jackie Beebe sent a letter to National Seashore Superintendent Brian Karlstrom stating that Eastham residents should maintain full, free access to the parking lot at Nauset Light Beach and alleging that the Park Service was not honoring the terms of a 2022 agreement and a 1965 deed by denying access to its lots. The letter gave Karlstrom one week to resolve the situation. The 1965 deed conveyed Nauset Light to the Park Service along with Coast Guard Beach on condition that town residents reserve the right to use the beach and adjacent waters for swimming, the adjacent parking area, and without charge. The 2022 agreement segregates the parking area into a Park Service lot and an Eastham Taxpayers lot and says the Park Service will honor Eastham Taxpayer stickers and permit them to park anywhere in NPS-managed lots. According to Beebe, Karlstrom had an immediate response promising that he would look into the situation. Carlstrom told the Cape Cod Times last Wednesday that new staff members had been confused by the 2022 agreement. Neither Carlstrom nor Deputy Superintendent Leslie Reynolds responded to requests for comment. Beebe said Monday that she had solicited an opinion from the town council. According to Beebe, the attorney said the terms of the deed still had to be honored, including East Ham residents' right to free access and free parking. Beebe told The Independent that the executive session would take place as soon as possible.
In Davis Walter's view, Cape and Island's youth face a significant risk of feeling isolated, which is why he, his wife Kimberly Mead Walters, and Christian Jones started Sharing Kindness, a nonprofit they launched shortly after the Walters' 16-year-old son Jeremy took his life in 2016. Launched in 2018, Sharing Kindness is the nonprofit organizer of the Cape's annual Suicide Awareness Walk and, on September 17th, will be one of the charities benefiting from the Second Summer Cycle Bike Ride sponsored by the Cape Cod Chamber of Commerce. Through peer-to-peer counseling, the organization helps kids feel more confident and resilient, training them to recognize suicidal tendencies and working to spread hope. Mead Walters took their Suicide Awareness and Prevention Program National. High schools across the country have embraced Sharing Kindness's services, and the organization is now looking for offices and dedicated meeting space. Walters and Jones met in college while riding on the nationally ranked UMass Amherst cycling team. Today, many years and miles later, they continue to ride together. Walters and Jones will be using their collective pedal power for good in the second summer cycle charity bike ride on Sunday, September 17th. The two friends will be leading the Sharing Kindness team in the event. The second summer cycle charity bike ride benefits 19 local charities, and 100% of the funds raised by riders goes directly to the beneficiary of their choice. With three routes ranging from 30 to 100 miles, there's an option for everybody. The Century starts in Mashpee, the Metric Century starts in Sandwich, and the 30-miler starts in Orleans, all finishing at a team celebration in Provincetown at Mata Field. And as it happens, I'll be donating my DJ services to help make that event a real celebration. You can register for the bike ride online at secondsummercycle.com and you can find out more about suicide prevention at sharingkindness.org. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. It's a beautiful end to what has been another week of wild weather across New England. High pressure is now in control and will bring us abundant sunshine through Saturday, the pick of the weekend. But the overall pattern refuses to budge with a broad trough of low pressure over the eastern half of the country and vigorous disturbances within that trough moving across the Outer Cape. The next in these series of disturbances will arrive Saturday night into Sunday, bringing scattered showers and a few perhaps strong thunderstorms. We should get a brief break Monday before an even more potent short wave arrives Monday night and Tuesday with showers and thunderstorms along with the potential for severe weather. Sunshine should return for the latter half of the week. And as we head deeper into August, the axis of this trough will retrograde westward and eventually lift northward into Canada. And finally, if our long-range global models are correct, this would be the most significant pattern change in months, resulting in extended periods of sunshine 
and unseasonably warm air with only humidity-driven pop-up late-day showers or thunderstorms. Elsewhere across the nation, the breadth and scope of this unprecedented summer isn't just relegated to the mainland. In Hawaii, fierce winds aided by Category 4 Hurricane Dora south of the islands produced deadly wildfires in the tourist area of Lahaina on the island of Maui, resulting in dozens of fatalities in a truly apocalyptic scene. Lahaina is on the western edge of Maui and has a desert climate. With an abundance of sunshine annually, most of the tourism and clusters of major hotel chains, restaurants, and art galleries are located on this part of the island. But even for this desert climate, the rainfall has been much less than average, and an ongoing severe drought combined with hurricane-force winds was the deadly combination that sparked this catastrophe. And finally, on Tuesday this week, a location at the intersection of the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman recorded a heat index of 158 degrees. As incredible and unrealistic as this sounds, the same area in July saw a heat index of 165 degrees. These incomprehensible numbers were achieved with actual air temperatures in the 120s and dew points in the 90s. The combination of searing heat from nearby deserts and extraordinary levels of humidity from the Persian Gulf led to a sweltering setting not seen anywhere else on Earth. And as the planet warms, this footprint of intolerable heat will likely continue to grow. In the words of one commenter, climate disasters may lead to migration, dislocation, extreme instability, and war. Thinking that it won't affect you just because it's happening halfway around the world is dead wrong. There is only one world, only one human race. Nature cares nothing about our borders, our rules, or our beliefs. Change doesn't care if you believe in it or not. It's either coming or already here. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, abundant sunshine and warm but less humid. Highs around 83. Tonight, mostly clear and very pleasant. Lows around 65. Saturday, bright sunshine, becoming breezy and continued warm. Highs around 82. Sunday, partly sunny and humid with scattered showers and thunderstorms. A few storms on Sunday may be heavy. Highs again around 82. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. Are you superstitious? Do you avoid walking under ladders? Are you afraid of black cats? Do you refuse to open an umbrella indoors? Of course not. It's crazy to believe that human affairs are influenced by magic and the divine instead of purposeful behavior or natural causes. But how do you protect yourself in a world in which adversity can strike at any moment? 
Do you wear a lucky jersey when your favorite team is playing a big game? Do you say, bless you, when someone sneezes, or break a leg before an actor friend is about to perform? About one quarter of Americans readily admit to being superstitious, and three quarters of all students say they rely on good luck charms when they take an important test. And I'm not even going to touch the subject of religion and the millions of people who pray to their chosen deity for a good outcome. It's all about gaining some modicum of control, about quelling our anxiety. And not long ago, during the COVID epidemic, it was not uncommon to hear about people gargling with hydrogen peroxide, snorting volcanic ash, and even drinking bleach to protect themselves. Totally nuts, right? But I have to admit, in a world in which disasters are on the news every night, I feel like I have to have some tricks up my sleeve to protect myself. You know why I've never been in a plane crash? Because I do not allow myself to fall asleep while flying. I firmly believe on some groundless but dependable level that my vigilant wakefulness is keeping the plane in the air. Want another one? I actually pick up pennies when I see them in the street. And although it's insane to believe that bad news comes in threes, just last week I had dental surgery, got stung by a horde of wasps, and had a flat tire all in the same day. I have to admit that I come from a long line of superstitious people. My mother firmly believed that you should never, ever assume that something good was going to happen because that was the surest way to make sure that it did not. She inherited her die-hard distrust of optimism from her own mother, who took for granted the evil eye, an age-old belief that has symbolism in almost every country in the world and in every religion, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hindu, and Christianity. Like many impoverished immigrants from Eastern Europe, she believed that a demon or wicked person can bewitch someone just by looking at them, that any person with success, beauty, or wealth, or even someone who'd received an excessive amount of admiration was more likely to attract jealousy and the gaze of a jealous observer that can jinx them, curse them with terrible luck and misery, and in some cases may even elicit injury or sudden death. Hence, my Grandma Sally wore a red string bracelet on her left wrist. Not uncommon, by the way, Madonna wore one to ward off evil spirits, as did Donald Trump's former lawyer Michael Cohen when he testified before Congress. Grandma Sally covered mirrors after a death in the family to ward off evil spirits. She insisted that all brides and grooms stomp on wine glasses at wedding ceremonies to repel Lilith, the incarnation of lust. She ate fish every Friday night. Why? Because fish were the only animals not on Noah's Ark to survive the flood, of course. 
and she never ever allowed us to express pride in our accomplishments without then adding the phrase kanahara a contradiction of three yiddish words that translates as not the evil eye and it's not only my grandma sally clint eastwood actually said kanahara when told his movie mystic river was likely to win an oscar i don't vouch for any of these things mind you i think they're all crazy right but then again i've made it this far in life so something must be working in my favor i'm ira knock on wood and that's my opinion And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz with guest DJ Deborah Kay here on listener-supported community radio, WOMR.